0: Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. <laughs> yes, you did. You made it weird. Made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made
1: it weird. You with weird. Pete Holmes.
0: <laughs> you yes, you
1: What's happening, weirdos? We are actually going to do uh, two episodes this week. So, this is episode one of two, um, just because we kind of have like a bonus episode thing that I did. Uh, a, a little while back that I want to get out there. It's a little bit different from what you're used to, but that'll be out Friday. I'm looking forward to that. And this is just a regular episode with my friend Jay, which is, I'm very, very excited about. Um, before we get to that, Joe DeRosa is uh, releasing a new comedy album. As you know, Joe is one of my favorite people. He's one of my favorite comedians. He's so, so, so funny. It comes out digitally on September 2nd. It's called Mistakes Were Made, The B-Sides. This is his really cool idea. It's a a double disc of unreleased material that was recorded at various places over the last seven years. So it's like rarities, and and obviously like it says B sides. So check it out. Joe is so so funny. He's got other albums, but this one comes out on September second. This is that's not a paid sponsor. That is my friend Joe, who I love, and I think you will love him too, so check him out. Obviously, I have tour dates as well. You guys know these by now. Uh, I'm gonna be in Seattle coming up, then Nashville, Portland, San Diego, Boston, and Bloomington, Indiana. Looks like we're gonna be adding uh, Phoenix, Arizona, very very soon. Uh, so if it's not up yet, uh, keep an eye out. Those dates will be coming up. It's looking like October for Phoenix and uh, adding adding new ones all the time. So go to petehomes.com and click on the calendar. It says see Pete on tour, click on that. And you made it weird.com for t-shirts, stickers, all that sorts of stuff. And the ad is Amazon. This is our paid sponsor and we love Amazon for it they support the show and the way that you can support the show through amazon is if you're gonna buy something on amazon just go to nerdist.com go to this episode click on the banner ad for this episode and there'll be a banner in the banner that you click on it'll take you to amazon then shop like you normally would that's it that's it everybody let's get into jay i hope you enjoy it yes get into it it is him i know the sound of a man hello Hello, Jay. If oh. that is your name, hello. Hello. I've never said you. your last name.
2: Chandra Sekar.
1: Chandra Sekar. There you
2: go. Seems easy. When you,
1: it's hard to spell. Go. It's got it. It's got the name Chandra in there, though. It's got all the consonants. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have that many consonants. A lot. No but Z's. Chandra. Chandra. Yeah. Is the first part. You should name your daughter Shandra.
2: Yeah, a little late. Um, <laughs> Do you have a daughter? I have two. Two baby girls? Yeah.
1: How old are those girls? Uh, eight years old. Really? Yeah. You're like, it's strange. Strange, you're str- it's strange because I was looking at your Wikipedia page. People want to know your net worth. Go ahead, go ahead, go <laughs> Do ahead. they? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was just surprised I typed in your name and then yeah. it said net worth. It suggested that. You know, who the hell
2: is coming? Who was doing that? They just make. I don't know. They just make it up.
1: You know, I guess you should be flattered if it says, you know, Jay uh, girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but net worth, people mm-hmm. are more curious because you're a director, right? And that's one of those jobs that people are like, I don't know how much. I think uh, we know actors are overpaid, right? Or you know, well paid. Right. I, I'm going to say overpaid.
0: Uh, some of them
1: well the reason actors are not overpaid is because they have to wait around all year no
2: they're like football players or, or, or baseball players they, they have a window play, yeah and then they're, and then there's somebody else who's like exactly the same but a little younger a oh. little hotter a little cheaper
1: that's right that's right and they're like eh, I was t- trying to you know. appeal to the common man and say they're overpaid but I understand what you're saying uh, that's what Berbiglia told me he was like this is we're playing pro ball right now Yeah, and that's why our salaries are inflated yeah. Uh, because, uh, But I suppose you probably have the same concern.
2: Uh,
1: There's a hip new director.
2: I feel like I spend like half of my time writing jokes and, and TV shows and movies, and the other half of my time teaching other people how to take my job. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the people are like, hey, uh, can you talk to my buddy? He's into yeah. comedy. And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you talk to him and... He's like, I'm not going to move to L.A. until they give me a job. And I'm like, well, then you'll, we'll never see you because nobody needs you. Yeah, we're, we're all over here holding the door closed so you can't get in. And if you fucking get in, okay, well, you're the other guy I got to deal with
1: that's fucking true that was such a thing in chicago i've said this many times it's funny to hear you agree that uh all these comedians would be like i'll go to la when they ask me i was like see you never i know see you never no one is ever gonna say will you please uh uh, pursue your dreams here no one will ever say that. we need a guy like you yeah you're needed yeah i'm look at me i'm a tall loafy white guy The, the the goof in my improv team Huh. Right, that's a that's a rare find. Yeah, the ten thousand guys exactly like that here are e- not good enough. Every day when I went to Chicago to study improv, everyone that was auditioning for Second City looked looked and sounded like me.
2: <laughs> did you pass your audition? I
1: didn't. No, I didn't no. get. I didn't get shit. I uh, was
2: terrible. Also auditioned and didn't get it.
1: For what? What did you audition? I auditioned for the training center. Uh,
2: I think I did too, but yeah. um, I was in the Improv Olympic.
1: Ah, uh, and that was very hard for me to get in Chicago. Yeah, you couldn't know get into that fellow Chicagoans. Yeah, what year is this?
2: I'm from Hinsdale, but I was in like it was my either my senior year in high school, so or, you're 10 years before me. Yeah, or maybe my, 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 my friend, it might have been my, my sophomore year in college. I, I was like 18 or 19. Okay, and, and so uh, like
1: seven years before me, probably. Yeah, and then I know that because of a Wikipedia page, but okay, roughly 10 years apart, right? Right, got it, and uh, well. I think I.O. was a little bit different in those days, from what I understand. By the time I had gotten there, they had figured out that there was a whole long line of schlubs like me that would shell out that 350 or whatever it was for a class.
2: I mean, it was, at the time when I was there, um, I was in the lowest group. uh, Mm -hmm. Because I'd just come, I was only there for nine months because I was going back to Colgate. But I came there to sort of do some stand-up and do some improv. And Chris Farley was in, like, the top group. With Dave Keckner and uh, a couple of their guys, David Kecks and, and uh, you know these were the top improvisers in town for sure. but
1: did they have the theater on uh, they had a place right?
2: called at, at the Tracks. It was like near some railroad tracks, so <laughs> when a train went by, everyone just sort of paused. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean it was uh, it was not, it's become like a, an LA thing now, and it's more of an institution this whole.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, but you kind of got in closer to the ground I got core. in,
2: yeah. I mean, Dell Close was, you know who that is, right? I sure do. He was, he taught a class. I was in a class with him.
1: You took a DC Close? Yeah,
2: yeah. Class? Yeah. A Close class? Yeah. You took a class with Close? But I mean, it was, it was a class with Farley and all those guys, and I just, he let me in. You shut it. Yeah.
1: Why? Because you were doing well?
2: No, because the, the numbers were low.
1: No, yeah, there weren't Body. that many
2: people doing it. They're somebody, like, yeah, sure, we could be in the class. Somebody
1: just said that to me. They, it was a very flattering compliment. They were like, if I could go back in time, I'd love to go back to 2001 uh, when all of us were starting in Chicago, meaning me and T.J. Miller and Kumail and Kyle Kanin and yeah. Matt Bronger, just to go and see us do open mics and like eat shit. Like how fun that would be yeah. to see potential, but also people just. Struggling. And then, like, you're also suggesting another great time in comedy when I.O. was just didn't really have a home. Yeah. Farley was there. I believe Tim Meadows was there, all these great people. Yeah,
2: Meadows had already moved on.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Well, you could have gone uh, right at the tail end of Meadows and caught the beginning of, of old Farl style. Yeah. That would be an incredible time. But you were there. I was there. Here I am talking to a living, breathing time machine that was actually there. Yeah. And has the tale to tell. Uh, you know, yeah. And I, I think
2: uh, every year... And it's, it's tr- like when we were, when Broken Lizard was doing, Broke Liz. um, like we were, we were the only comedy group making video oh, in really? New York, the only one, the li- only one. yeah, And the only groups <laughs> really that were performing on stage of note were us, uh, this and the state. And mm-hmm. then eventually Upright Citizens Brigade came in mm-hmm. a couple of years after us. But I mean, there was, there was nothing know, we, we would lug a 50 inch television set in and out of this theater upstairs and we put it on and we put the videos on video there's nowhere else to show there's no youtube yeah yeah yeah. yeah. there was nothing so now (laughs) now you look at it and there's just like you know we were imitating monty python and to some degree kids in the hall yep and now there are seemingly thousands of sketch groups making videos Mm -hmm. and i i don't even know what to say like i look at them and it, there's so many. I don't even know how they could. I mean, I know the Workaholics guys did well and those guys are hilarious, but right. there seemed to be just an endless sea of them behind them.
1: And so did it seem, though, me going to Iowa, Improv Olympic after you had been at Improv yeah. Olympic. You go to Improv Olympic. What I'm saying is, it always seems worse. I look over my shoulder yeah. at what the kids are dealing with today, and you're like, I don't know how they're going to do it. But you keep pulling back. It's like midnight in Paris. Everybody romanticizes the time they were in. And it does. You're right, it is getting more crowded and worse and harder. But like when Seinfeld and all those guys started doing stand up, there were no there were no stand up clubs. True. They would they would just have to like yeah. interrupt another show. Yeah. Like a burlesque show <laughs> to do their little act. You know what I mean? Yeah. So everybody's kinda like, I don't know, uh well now the, the opposite is true.
2: I I mean I went to the Robin Williams memorial at the comedy store on Sunday night and I watched um you know, probably twenty 25 people each go up and give, you know, discussions about how they knew Robin Williams and how they kind of, you know, what it was like in the comedy store when they're, you know, that was the only place in Hollywood. Right. And it's amazing. It's amazing to hear, like, first of all, like that Letterman was there and, you know, Pryor was there and Robin Williams and all all these amazing people. And that, you know, they were just desperate to get on The Tonight Show and that there was no comedy infrastructure really Mm -hmm. built up at all. That's
1: right. Uh, but now there's like a business model. These these groups that you're talking yeah. about that have YouTube channels, and some of them get millions of subscribers, and some of them, you know, kind of have no eyes on them. Right. But they're like, you know, you have to have a name. You guys were like yeah. naming yourselves before you were even sure you had to name yourself. I, m- I mean, you did There's yeah. something on the flyer. But now people know we need a catchy name. We need a hook. We need a channel. We need a following. Or yeah, all that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, no doubt.
1: But there is something kind of sweet about that. But go back to. Did you have any? Tell me about uh, the Del Close class.
2: So it was, you know, it was Farley and Keckner. All the top guys were in, and then you know,
1: were we in the same class then? I,
2: well, only because was it like a jam? There was a Del Close class, and and they, I guess, they wanted us to see what it was like. I don't even That's know. Awesome. But I, you know, I go up and I do improv, and he was, he was an, a very honest man, yeah. uh, and so. He would hit you right with it. I mean, just like it's you know, literally stuff like that's entirely wrong the, the way you're approaching that. <laughs> when you sit down, someone else go up. You know, it's like it was very, wow. very like. And you were you were grateful for it in a weird way, just to be spoken to by the guy. <laughs> My yeah, you know, he was he was like this. Uh, he was certainly a legend in the comedy business, and he 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 had he had overseen uh, Bill Murray and and all, uh, and and all the you know. Uh, Belushi and all that sort of right second city chicago group and so he was the guy you know the guy who never cashed in the guy who was like the purist the artist supposedly right
1: right but then he did make a few goes at, he, did. Uh, he, made he did a few
2: and then, goes cashing and then, in though didn't he and then he appeared in the in the, in the untouchables <laughs> yeah right? and he was
1: in Ferris Bueller
2: uh but the cool thing was he was supposedly a warlock in the in the Wiccan religion, right?
1: I heard he worshipped Zeus, but Zeus. I mean, like you hear okay. a lot of things.
2: And then when he died, his 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 skull was apparent was supposed to have been donated to the Goodman Theater
1: for for, for Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, I've cool. Heard that too. Come on, man, that is cool. Cool. Yeah, but this guy is be being uh, mythologized, which is great, no doubt. But then also in the good way, I think that's a yeah. good thing. And then also having somebody that shoots you straight, Chris Gethard. I one time said to him, "Do you know Chris?" I don't. He's a wonderful improviser uh, and actor and writer and everything, comedian, and a great stand-up. I actually just did stand-up with him in Montreal. I say that because he did the he did the crossover, which is not easy sometimes from the improv to the stand-up Yeah. Uh, or stand-up to improv. It can be tricky, rocky waters either way. But Chris was the first improv teacher that I had that was like a, a bit of a hard-ass. He had this like almost like teacher character he did. It was very authentic and real, but he would be like – Stop doing that. Like, finally. Like, I went through level one and level two with a lot of the same people. And only in level three with Gethard was he like, just simple stuff. Like, you always play a hypersexualized character. Can you try something else? I and see. I was like, thank you. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Right. And he was hard on me, too. Right. As he should be. Sometimes we, we yearn for that sort of uh, paternal sort of energy to be like, you fucking suck. You
2: know how you when you watch a comic and you're like, I know what's wrong with this act? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you're like, he'll never know because no one will ever tell him. And maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm right,
1: but I have an opinion. Yep.
2: And it's that kind of thing. That's what teachers should do.
1: Right, right, right. Let me steer you in the right direction. That's why we pay them. That's right. I mean, we don't pay them to just teach. We teach them. To, we pay them to teach the unpleasant things to say. I was just doing a club recently, and I was backstage, and I was just like, "This guy sounds exactly like uh, Louis to me." Yeah. Now that's not the worst thing in the world, but at a certain point, you're three, four, five, six years in. If you still sound like you're doing a Louis C.K. impression, somebody needs to tell you. And I was like, "It's it's you don't know if it's your place." Sometimes that can be hurting the person. And sometimes, you're, sometimes people don't agree. I asked other comics, and they were like, I don't know if I hear it.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was like, I do.
2: Yeah. You got to fucking get in the fucking thing with your dick.
1: Yeah. You fucking shit. I see. Acting like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Like I don't. I can't do an impression until I hear someone that sounds like they're sounding like them, and then I do an impression of them.
2: You can do an impression of an impression
1: because the the impressionist is the person that finds the, right. the key. That's right. They're like, oh, this is what Louis That's sounds right. like, and you're like, ah, yeah. you fucking yeah. shut up. Yeah. With a, all this, yeah. it was it yeah. just sounded so much like that. But I mean, I had people like that. I I had somebody had to tap me on the shoulder and say, "You're doing Re- Brian Regan," and I was like, "Oh, oh really? Yeah." Thank you. Yeah, and some of that came out in roasts. Were and you stuff. a Regan fan? I was. Now I, uh, I still love him, but I can't watch him. I, I it'll still bleed yeah. in. He's got the best stupid voice in the biz.
2: Yeah. Well, you know the the guy that I think uh, one of the guys who went up at that Rob Williams roast was uh, Norm Macdonald, and yeah. such a yeah. amazingly unique. Um, you know, way to speak. And I, I, I was, uh, I went and did um, I think the Pemberton Music Festival a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it was me and Norm were doing. Uh, I think Jim Brewer went up before us, and I got to hang out with him in, on, in a in a car on the way to the festival. And he was, you know, that's how he speaks. Yeah, that's how he is. Yeah and, yeah, I, yeah. and we were talking, and and I was like, you know, we started talking about Dennis Miller. I'm like, I bet you do a good Dennis Miller imitation. He goes, Nah. No, nah, I don't. I've never did one of those. And I'm like, <laughs> no, but I bet you could, you know. I bet you could. He goes, "No, nah, no, nah, you're thinking of Dana." And I'm like, I think you you of your voice range, you could. He goes, "No, no, I never did it." And I was like, "Okay. <laughs> All right, you yeah, okay, you don't get it." But, but
1: uh <laughs> but the guy, the guy, by the way, is just
2: As brilliant and funny and awesome as you could ever imagine. Oh,
1: he's so funny. When you see a guy like that that's been doing it that long, I literally saw him at the Melrose Improv and he just crushed and it was all new. And you're just like, "Uh." I sometimes slip into Norm. I make a joke out of it, though, because it is such a fun comedy way to talk. And that's how you know you found a voice. Uh, Chris Thayer was just telling me that somebody from his hometown, uh, well, rather San Francisco, uh, told him, he's like, you know you found your voice when people can do an impression of you. You can always do an impression of the greats, and it's true. Yeah, you wonder though if that's
2: like the beginning of the end. You know, like when, oh, yeah. W- when you hear Seinfeld, people do Seinfeld imitations. You're like, mm, he does do that. Yeah, he yeah, does yeah. do that. And then you, you know, I heard him on Howard Stern from 2013. It was, by the way, the greatest Howard Stern interview ever. I think. Really? I mean, it was so two giants, like talking about comedy and it was just fantastic it was cool because he's he is it's 2013 he's he is every bit howard stern's equal or you know they're equals and so to hear them speak on an equal measure and not have someone like totally kowtowing to howard and totally like oh
1: right please right right right. Uh, you know yeah yeah yeah. And, and vice versa yeah and vice versa and
2: i think he um you know, but when you know that he goes up high and does those register things and is observing, you know well, like, the song eh, it takes a little bit of the fun out of it.
1: And, and then, well, you get into a tricky territory where you can't help but start believing your own hype. Like, Seinfeld's album, and this is, he, he hasn't put out a new album in a while, but uh, his, I'm telling you for the last time, opens with, so what's with the cab drivers in the B.O., right? And just that gets this huge, it's a right. setup, gets a right, huge right. applause, huge uh, claps, because he's, he's doing the thing. He's doing mm-hmm. the thing that we knew he would do. Yeah. And that's not his fault, but you're right, if you don't What's navigate it... What's he supposed it, to do? I'll tell you what you're supposed to do, is you're supposed to do what people like Louis and people like Seinfeld do, which is they control their saturation. Like, Seinfeld yeah. doesn't Put out a bunch of stuff. He doesn't. When Seinfeld's doing Letterman, people know about it. People talk about it. Yeah, he's going to do stand up on Letterman. He's coming to the theater. He doesn't over tour. He doesn't over put too much stuff out. Going back to what you're saying about kids and YouTube, one of the dangers of that is we're putting out all our, our practice shit, as they say in yeah. Lou Ellen Davis. He's like, you're not supposed to release your practice shit, destroys the mystique. And yeah. I was like, fucking A. I'm glad that my early shit, including the Terminator, Terminator 2, actually, uh, where we dressed up a Kermit like uh-huh. the Terminator, uh, isn't on YouTube. I would put it out now yeah. if I could find it. Yeah. But like, I'm glad that that isn't out there, that the, the practice stuff. Because then it does kind of appear like you just showed up. And and that's what people like. Yeah, overnight, success. they want to discover you. They want to discover you. Exactly like you, you're going to I O. You're rolling in a TV. Nobody knows who you are, and then it's fun when they yeah. go. I was there. I was there, and the kids. He's producing. Yeah, he's as well as producing. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Norm Macdonald.
2: Uh. I tell you, you know what's interesting? Is the, <laughs> the, no, but he he did a. He was everyone was doing. Effectively, very sad. Like they were, there were a number of people who were almost choking up. Sure, but they're they're main heavy duty comics. So they're all also in a room full of comics, telling jokes. Right, and and you're talking about great comics up there telling jokes and doing you know like just amazing stuff. And then Norm McDonald goes up there, and he gets choked up, and he doesn't speak for roughly, I would say about twenty seconds. Mm. Where. It, it appears, I was in the front row, looked like he had tears in his eyes. And then he just, just, and just drills this fucking punchline that just leveled the room. The guy is like, I don't know. I'm a big fan.
1: Wait, you weren't saying he was talking about Robin Williams. He, he was. was doing he, a bit.
2: No, he was actually in the middle of an emotional moment of Robin Williams, and then he couldn't help himself. He thought of something funny and said it, and just what was off. it? I can't remember what the joke you was. Son of a bitch. I was, I was, I had smoked a little bit of a joint right before. Yeah, that's, and so. It just wiped my whole mind.
1: You're a real waste of a <laughs> front row seat. That's how I. That's
2: how I mourn. That's how I mourn. <laughs>
1: Super duper sad. I, I didn't even know that was happening. Although, to be honest, if I, I don't go to the comedy store. So I felt like, because yeah. I knew that was happening and, you know, it's yeah. close to where we live. I just would have felt like a fraud to show up that night.
2: Hey, guys. You know well, what I mean? yeah. I mean, most of those people there knew Robin Williams. Right. And I actually <laughs> met him here at Meltdown. I met him here at Meltdown. Were you
0: there
1: that was night? Was it the same night? It uh, could have been the same night.
2: Yeah. His daughter was here. Yeah. And yeah, I was, and I, yeah, I talked to him for like 20 minutes. And he, yeah. And it was, you know, I I was about to go on or getting ready to go on, and he walked in the back room,
0: mm.
2: and I said to Camille, "Like, put me on right now. I don't want to go after that fucking guy." Yeah, and I went on, and I did like whatever fifteen twenty, and came off, and 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 then he went on, and he just drilled it. Yeah came off, and he goes, oh, I like that joke, and I I like what you did with that, I thought you were going to go there, but then you went, and then when I said, oh, and he goes, what do you think of this joke? And we kind of went back and forth for like 15, 20 minutes, it was fantastic. Oh my God. It was like a dream come true. So when the memorial came up, I'm like, meh. Yeah. I was, you know, you hear about him dying, I was so, I mean, like everybody, so shocked, because you meet somebody, and you're like, how does, you know, he's so friendly and funny and cool, and Mm -hmm. how do you, you you can't see it. We're good, we're all good at at, uh, hiding it.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. I've I've been thinking about the idea that somebody, uh, say, like me, and uh, let's say if I, I think about my own death. You know, somebody dies and you think about your own death. And then people often tend to be like, can you believe that somebody so talented... And so, uh, you know, gregarious and effusive and kind and I like the eulogy
2: of yourself right now. No, no, no. I'm talking oh, about oh, Robin okay.
1: Williams. <laughs> that, that was not about me. I, okay. I, I would say some of those things about me. But, like, I'm just saying then we go, like, who would have known he was also struggling? And I, I kind of have this feeling where I'm like, no, don't reduce someone... To what we saw. I mean, he was all those things and he was struggling. It doesn't yeah. mean like that dark cloud ruined. Everybody is struggling. Being alive is a struggle. We all do a good job of yeah. coping with it, but it's it's like a daily uh, turmoil. I'm not saying I'm depressed. I'm just saying everybody gets a little bit depressed at least some of the time. And when you couple that with a disease that's you know eating away at your brain – And, you know, and uh, it sounded like some addiction problems. You you end up with something like that. I'm not saying I don't mean to wrap it up in such a tidy bow. I just think there's something offensive. What I thought about I die and they go, but Pete seems so happy. Yeah. Yeah. In my hour special and on the podcast and at Meals with Friends. That doesn't mean you don't wake up to pee sometimes. And you're just like, what is this? What is this? I'm not saying I have suicidal thoughts. I'm just saying everybody at some point, Mother Teresa wrote really haunting letters about losing her faith and, like, not believing and all that sort of stuff. Mother Teresa! Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, the most in-touch faithful person, or one of them. So I I just think there's something—I want to remove the shock. Like, if something like that were to happen uh, to me—and, again, I don't mean to speak cryptically. I'm not predicting a suicide. I'm just saying— yeah I'm a person. I'm a full person. Yeah. Robin Williams was the mime on the on the steps of the Met in New York City that would destroy with strangers, and he was haunted by demons. Can't we have both? Isn't that everybody? I suppose so, but you know
2: like a lot of people dream about being i mean beyond even beyond the people who are attempting show business, a lot of people dream of having Robin Williams type success of course and then you see a guy who has it. And then you see...
1: Well, that's the great... And sir. you're like,
2: well, what am I really... Is there nothing that will truly make... And I'm talking about people who are who are maybe addicts or mentally ill. Maybe think, oh, you know, if only I get that, I'll be better. Sure. And you would say, well, maybe not.
1: Well, I love the quote. Uh, Jim Carrey has this quote where he says, I wish everybody could have all their dreams come true and do everything that they wanted to do so they would realize that that's not the answer. Now, Jim Carrey is one of those people... He's like, you know, a seeker kind of guy. He meditates yeah. a lot. He's done DMT. He, you know, Eckhart Tolle and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So Russell Brand also has a great quote where he says, I wish um, if the solution meaning to life or to happiness was blowjobs and, and beer would all be fine. So there's something to be said when, when some hard to get blowjobs that easily. <laughs> I mean, it's not the same as beer. Just saying. Russell Brand, I think, has more people well, wanting to sure, blow him, sure. peel down the leather okay, pants. fair enough. Fair but enough. I'm just saying there's something to that. When someone like Robin uh, dies, someone of that esteem and someone of that wealth and of that fame, and you have that house. But, like, we know. We know. You know by playing The Sims. If you've ever played The Sims, you get the big house and you have all the stuff and you can have all the money. And it's the story we tell over and over and over. The truth has to come from some sort of inner relationship. Something inward yeah. because the outward stuff obviously doesn't work. I'm not saying that if Robin Williams had meditated or had a richer spiritual life that he wouldn't have had the problems that he did. He, I, he, I'm saying it's just as likely that he would. Yeah. But there is something to be said about like an inward search as opposed to the outward search. Your face on a billboard – like Zach Galifianak, right? He, he has this wonderful – broke liz he has this wonderful detachment from his own career where he sees his uh face on a movie poster this was on his episode and he goes i wonder if that movie's any good the movie that he's been in that he's seen screened so many times so i think there's something healthy about going this is my ego and this is the house that my ego bought and this is the career my ego wanted but this is everything else this is the true me and i need and i need to really explore that
2: yeah you know, it's, 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 it, was, it was one of the things that kept getting brought up at that Robin Williams thing was that he would never have done this, the Robin I knew. This must have been how his drugs, his Parkinson's drugs, his, his uh, de- antidepressant drugs, mm. changed his brain chemistry, and that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a common theme. I think nobody wanted to... I, I, look, I don't know anything about that, but... Um,
1: no, I understand It what was
2: interesting saying. to think, you know, like you see all the side effects on some of these, anti, these anti-depression these drugs and they're often at suicide. Yeah. And you're like, no, I guess there you go. That, well, that report
1: suicidal uh, thoughts. Happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know? I think that happens on even things that are pretty mild, like Ambien, or, I, I yeah. think has that if you have suicidal thoughts reported immediately. I mean, fucking with the brain, what do we do? It's such a tricky thing. We know that we could put like a electrode in your brain that would make you feel a certain way that would make you want to hurt yourself or hurt other people. It's, it's a terrifying thing, but we do, uh, we do kind of get in there (laughs) and fuck it up. But more interestingly is the way that those people, I think rightly so, I I don't know if it's horseshit or not, but we're applying a narrative to make ourselves uh, feel better. It is believable and it is plausible. So why not lean that way as, or, or I guess we could take the long, cold stare and be like, nah, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, in, in as you're looking at his two photographs on the
2: stage there, you can't help but feel like it's almost the perfect, famous comic way to go out. What um, do you mean? Because I, I was watching a lot of old-timers go up on stage, and I'm talking about, like, full-on senior citizens, mm-hmm. and they were doing very well, Co- funny, comedy, like, hilarious. And I looked at it, and I'm like, holy shit. My, my takeaway was, holy shit, I'm going to be that. I'm gonna be that, and who are these guys? Mm-hmm. I kind of maybe have heard of them, even though they're they're killing in this room. And you're like, wow, uh, a, a great way to go out would be while you still have it.
1: I understand going from on a, on
2: top. you know you look at you look at like you know of course it's that thing when Belushi died young. You're like, oh, you know he's vibrant and I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a good thing Robin Williams died. I'm saying. It, it it all is all wrapped up in it. The I, whole thing is all wrapped up into it. As you watch the really old timers go up, you're like, well, I don't want to be that.
1: I understand. The youth-obsessed culture and all that sort of stuff and the decay of his brain yeah. helped me understand. The, the idea that he would be – it affects your brain before it affects your body so he could feel like he's losing it and that yeah. sort of thing. You know, but I think that is a dangerous thought. I mean we can't. Although, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've thought that same thing. It's like, we you do have to die, how are you going to do it? And I think that might be a thought that's appealing to a suicidal person. However, and not just you know in the terms of public service, I'm just saying, why not disappear? Why not Rick Moranis it? Nobody goes Rick Moranis that hack, you know what I mean?
2: Has Rick Moranis disappeared?
1: Have you heard of Rick Moranis in the past 10 years? <laughs> He's on a dairy farm. Oh, I
2: thought you were just being cruel. You're saying he is just... Living on a I'm farm? saying,
1: get out of here. Oh, really? I'm saying, go and, and do it a different way. Uh-huh. You know- Is Rick Moranis alive? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rick Moranis is oh, what I I'm saying is the example of a person who, what if we are looking for control, if we are trying to sculpt the narrative of our life, I think you would agree. I don't think this is what you're saying. There's so many better ways than to go and then you kill yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I know.
2: I know. I
1: am fully aware. I know you have Honduras Thompson, you have Hemingway. Well, you have all
2: the guys that were on the walls of all the college's dorm rooms, like Hendrix and...
1: Right. You know, I mean, they're they're
2: Janis Joplin and and endless numbers of those people, right? Right. So, whatever. I'm not advocating suicide. I'm just saying... No, I don't think you are. I'll I'll tell you what what, You're doing a thought experiment. What I really took out of it was watching all those old-timers go up, I said, I have to work twice as fast to get more done so that when I'm that age, and some guys watch me walk up there, they'll be like, "I know who that is."
1: Right. That's crazy. That's
2: how I, I left there, still a little baked, and like, "Jeez, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get to work." Yeah, but what does it matter? I don't Jay. know, man. I but
1: I'm telling I you, I think you're chasing blowjobs I, uh, and whiskey. Uh, right maybe
2: now. I'm telling you these guys, old timers, were killing at the comedy store, and they used to dominate at the comedy store. They were the young guns running the comedy store. Yeah. And now they were old, old, like barely walking up there. I mean they were not that old, but they were old. And I'm like, who the hell is that guy? Right. That guy used to be able to walk in the comedy store and murder and people are like, oh this guy I saw him last week. Right. Uh, you you like I just left it going, Holy shit, is that possible?
1: That you'll be forgotten. But you will while be. you're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course it's possible. It's likely. It's going to happen. <laughs> I know unless
2: I work twice as fast.
1: No, that, you know, I like your transparency, but it is a little chilling. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of people feel the way that you're feeling. I'm trying to find a way to encourage both of us to not think that way because there has to be an elegant surrender to the idea that there's different seasons to your life and it doesn't always have to be walking into the comedy uh, store and destroying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know,
2: Tarantino recently said that he was going to stop directing when he hit a certain age because old directors never make anything good. Right. Or, you know, for the most part. Clint that they Eastwood don't, is like, that, hey. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that their best work is behind them. But there you go. Clint Eastwood has done some fantastic work. But every
1: work. every artist has to deal with this. It's interesting. you know. Woody
2: Allen's still doing great work.
1: I think Woody Allen's doing fantastic. I actually like later Woody Allen as much as, mm-hmm. as people love, you know, Annie Hall Me and too. all that sort of stuff. I, I agree with you. It, it's a It's a common theme... Of of geniuses, em, uh, Eminem. I don't know if you consider Eminem a genius. I do. I, I think he's fantastic. Uh, you know, I was actually thinking about it. Speaking of myths and stuff, I was like, he's the villain. He's the villain. It's we need villains, and then he becomes the self aware villain as he as he gets older. You know, talking about mm-hmm. in the in the latest album, being a paradox and being a hypocrite and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, thank you, because sometimes for one reason or another, there's a smoke building up inside of us that needs to be exonerated through. A villain, through a caricature. Anyway. Yeah. But he, you know, it's not on his latest album. He talked about uh, retiring at 30 and stuff. Like, that was a recurring theme. He's he's well over 30. But that being said, it's just like these young geniuses start making albums and stuff, and we have to make a choice. When, and you're making me consider it for the first time, when do we hang it up? And then, speaking to a man with two daughters and a, and a wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things going okay?
2: Yeah, great, great. Another great.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to tell you here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why not? No, it's fantastic. That's, Everything's fantastic. That's
1: really funny. You know? I'm just saying, Jesus, Jay, we've we've come on to something. If you are killing it in your bliss, you found your flow, you found the thing you're supposed to be doing, right? How then do you end it? Because it's going to end,
2: like, like how the, do you step the off Athletes the stage? who walk off stage when they're at the top—that's right. I, we don't do that, you know. I mean, I, I'll tell you this: I've thought about this somewhat too. When you look at Larry David and what he did with his show, he was an old, you know, he was an older guy at the time. Yeah, it, 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 in this in this culture where it feels like only the young make like comedies. Uh, there's no reason why uh we shouldn't continue like the way Woody Allen does just continue to make comedies about things you're interested in right and there's no reason why older people older people laugh too i mean there's i think you just have to stay entirely true to yourself i agree and not try to make you know but look at
1: Cosby you know and look the old at Carlin stuff. yeah These are people I, you know, I just took a college I'm doing a college. It'll be plugged on this show. And a friend of mine asked me for tickets or whatever. And I was like, you should know I do older stuff when I do a college because, you know, the babies don't want to hear about the plight of a 35 year old man. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I only do old stuff, but like I can't do like I'm working on a bit about how I don't always want to have sex. Like, is this like I I take offense at this Facebook post that says why you should sleep with your husband every day. Uh I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not some grunt that wants it whenever I can get it. I'm an artist. Like, Uh beat it. So, like, 18-year-old kids don't want to hear that. They're hard because I said sex. You know what I mean? So, anyway, so I change it up. But the idea is, and the idea of this podcast and the idea of all my endeavors, and I think yours as well, is that, like, we start with comedy, which is like a youthful thing, and then it starts bleeding into other passions. And I think if you can do comedy, very very difficult, you can Jim Carrey it, you can Eternal Sunshine it, you can Woody Allen it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And you can start pushing yourself into other arenas. I think it would be harder to go the other way.
2: Uh, you know, I I have uh, I felt this. Well, look, I, I obviously the Broken Lizard movies are Liz. are Broken Lizard movies are wild and. You know somewhat raunchy, and there's nudity and there's drug use and there's booze and I love all that and mm-hmm. but, but frankly, when I was making those movies, I really loved all that, and I was <laughs> living, living, living all that mm-hmm. and I live a different version of that now and and so you know i made a, I made a pilot for amazon uh, uh, and it is very much like another step in a, in more what i what i 'm about right now there you go so it's it's like it's basically, you know, if you look at the, look at the show, like, like you know, Parenthood, uh, or even you could, like, it's, it's either like a Parenthood with, like, lots of, like, R-rated dirty jokes and nudity and drugs and booze and, you know, with a little bit of drama, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like, it's almost like a single-camera Seinfeld. Like, it's a pure comedy, but it's like, you know, it's right. more of filmic. Or it's, What's it it's,
1: called? It's called Really. Really? Oh. Yeah. With a question mark? No, the punctuation rolls. Oh, it's like walking script. Take the punctuation yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th- that's what I'm talking about. So the way to ensure your relevance, and that's what we're really discussing is relevance. It's yeah. not just going up the comedy store. It's it's about remaining a relevant comedian and artist, is I think to make sure you're in sync with where you are in life because you can be you in a way that no one else can be you, and you're different from everybody in certain yeah. ways. And then if you're also paying attention to where you're at in life, when you were doing Soup Troops, you were more about, you know, boozy booze and get Nancy in your pantsy, ref. And now you're 40 nice. something. And and I wouldn't want to see you do a movie where you're in a fraternity with right. Hefferness.
2: Seth uh, Rogen and those guys just did that, that movie like that. And it was great.
1: Did they? Yeah, they did. Oh, like that. Uh, Neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. But you would be the dad. I'd be the dad. Sure. Fair enough. Right. Right, right, and you, would you, get some you, you, baby boy to be the baby. Yeah, boy.
2: Yeah, you don't want to hold on because everybody can see. Right, they can see that you shouldn't be in the. That but that's role why
1: anymore. Bill Cosby put out this great special called I think it's called Forty when he turned forty, and it's just about being old and decaying. Yeah. And now you know he does. He's putting out his new special ninety,
2: which I think he, <laughs> sh- which I think he
1: should. You yeah. know, I mean, why not? No, I agree. If you can still bring it, why not? Right. But the the sustainability as an artist, I think, is in direct proportion to your ability to accept where you are. Exactly. Right.
2: That's exactly right.
1: We don't want to see, and I'm not putting down Paulie Shore. We don't want to see him doing the weasel. If Paulie Shore were to do something, I would want to be like, "What was what's?" That's the premium on authenticity. You talked about Curb Your Enthusiasm. What's it like being the creator of Seinfeld and being an older guy in yeah. L. A. with your hot wife and your Prius? You know what I mean? People yeah. want, are craving that not uh, some sort of I Love Lucy but the yeah. show.
2: I mean, I think, you know, when we were coming up, uh, there was this idea that uh, that all films had to have a concept, like this big picture yep. concept. Like, uh, a, a good version of it, I suppose, is, is the movie uh, Big, right? With Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. There was like this magic machine that sent him back to a child, and you're like, okay, that's a big concept. And and we were never sort of into those kinds of movies because sometimes they were one joke, they were one joke uh, movies, right? You know, and you and, uh, know these super broad sort of like um, you know Jim Carrey did a couple of those, like you know, it, 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 but he he delivered, right? He delivered on that. Well, that's the magic of Jim. There were Curry. there were some others that didn't deliver, right? And I think that the country is now bored of. I mean, we're not doing those kind of movies anymore, and so right. I don't think you need to. To, like, put an older actor into, like, a younger person's body role in the same way. You can just, you know, look at what Louie's doing. Right. It's so real. Right. It's just him.
1: Well, that's why uh, we're really lucky out. Yeah. We're in a good time. <laughs> we're in a good time. Smash cut two. <laughs> <laughs> what is your net worth? No, I'm just kidding. How's your wife? She's great. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been married? Uh, about seven years, eight years. Seven years? Ooh, the seven-year itch. Yeah. You got through it. Yeah. Thank you. And you have eight-year-olds. Yeah. Wait, so you ooh, shotgun?
2: No. Uh I when I was um when we were dating, I was just like I couldn't figure out why I would um make this decision. Which one? To, to just like stop being with like other women and <laughs> and just be with one woman and live forever like that. Yeah. And I figured you know, the only way for me to do that in my mind was, you know, if you're going to have kids, you're like, okay, the whole thing makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole package of it makes sense because you would want to, pro- you know, you end up very, becoming very protective of your kids. And, you know, that, that concept was easy for me to decide. So, I, you know, Mother my, wife, of my, children yeah, my wife and I talked about it. We said, why don't we have kids first? And then oh. you don't have to worry about any of the decision making. That's very interesting.
1: It. My my friend, a fellow writer uh, named Mike, he did that same thing where he would he knew he would never get married, but he also knew that if he you know knocked up, if he got his girlfriend pregnant, that they would just get married and and have no shame of that. Not shotgun, as yeah. I was jokingly asking. Right, you, right, sure. But like the idea being like, no, that, that okay, this makes sense. Now let's do that. Let's yeah. have kids first.
2: It was uh, the right decision.
1: Because it's a cement? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Because your wife is a pain?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because Because it's impractical. Because
2: I think marriage for both sides is challenging as shit. And and the one thing that keeps you really devoted to it is our our children. Yeah. After years of dating multiple people and going on dates and like, you know, my wife would love to go on dates, right? Yeah. And have new guys be like oh you're hot and oh, here's some flowers she would love
1: that but there's children and you, know, and you know right so there's a that's the cement so 10 years divorce <laughs> it's not even a, i <laughs> you mean will i get divorced i'm being i'm being cheeky your kids will be cheeky they'll be 18 i wonder if that is that kind of you don't have to answer that i'm just interested i know what you're saying i was just reading about this the idea that uh marriage is is an impractical thing right it's not like a it's not like a sensible, rational kind of commitment. But this person, uh it was Joseph Campbell. I always reference old Joey Cam's. Mm-hmm. It's I'm reading the book The Power of Myth, which I highly recommend. I'm fucking The Power of what? The Power of Myth. Okay. It's also a three hour PBS uh special. I'll read
2: the book. Really? Sure. Hmm. I will. Look at the old Smarty Pants. Yeah. I'm reading a Tale of Two Cities right now. Best of it's the best of times. or the worst of, of times? <laughs> I must have skimmed it in high school because I was like, none of this is familiar. Oh, man.
1: I barely read it. Yeah. I barely read it. But I'm
2: plowing through it. I like that mind.
1: we're both in that same place Pretty in our lives game. where we're like, yeah, I want to go back and yeah. read like Ulysses or something, yeah. like do, do it properly. Yeah. But anyway, so Joseph Campbell's is a big believer in myth and he's like, marriage is a myth. You're Indian, right? Yeah. I'm not just saying this because you're Indian. He talks about the Indian marriage ceremony being three days and that being Mm -hmm. his way of gluing it, being the idea that marriage is an idea and a concept and a conduit to bring two things into one as a means to understand the transcendent better. Meaning, if it's a love affair that you're just trying to make last forever, doesn't work. And he also says that if you're doing it for children, the idea of the marriage, I'm not yeah. cursing you, I'm just saying doesn't work either. Right. It needs to be this other thing. It needs to be the ceremony. He doesn't make this comparison, but he talks about this at another point in the book. It's like taking mushrooms at a party as opposed to going to like a shamanistic ritual yeah. where you fast for three days and do yoga and you know do it in a sweat lodge and have a have a spirit guide and all that sort of stuff. The, the ceremony of it is what makes it the thing. And the commitment to it, as absurd or transrational as it is, serves a greater purpose if that's what people are committing to. When we bring in our rational Western sort of like what's really going to work thing, then the idea of a marriage, and I'm completely there with you, starts to look like the horse shit that it is when you look at it like an accountant would. And be like, you know, the smart money is on have some kids, raise the kids, and then let your wife go on those dates. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I, what do we do? Look
2: the, the, look, the ceremony, the Indian thing is, is unbelievably odd to me because they're marrying strangers. Yeah. Right? I mean, they haven't even theoretically had sex.
1: True. But isn't that an even better embracing of the absurdity? Well, I, you think, know what I'm I saying? think
2: it's like the height of madness. I mean... If, but wouldn't they think what you're doing is the height of know, madness? No, Well, because look, in the darkest of days uh, in a marriage, and I'm, my marriage is... is perfectly good you're coming off well
1: i i'm I'm keeping an eye out for you this isn't no it's perfectly in the darkest
2: of days in any marriage you look at your wife you're like i remember when we first started and how we just couldn't stop like being with each other i knew that i loved that that was real it was we traveled all your bits were new yeah exactly
1: exactly (laughs) you called her sizzling exactly and she
2: loved it exactly and now you're just right but you know what I mean? I mean that was, there was, There's a reservoir to draw upon. Yes, of course. And for Indians who are marrying stranger, other strange Indians, you're like, good luck with that. And I,
1: if I hadn't just read this passage, mm-hmm. I would have completely agreed with you. And now I'm like, maybe we're looking at it wrong. It is an ancient idea. So maybe the more anciently we approach it, the better. When we start bringing into practicality, being like, this is my house, this is our joint bank account, these are our wills, this is our uh, prenup, all that sort of stuff, all practical stuff. Applying that practicality to a tornado of baloney yeah. that is married I hear you.
2: doesn't really— well, what you're talking about is letting your mom decide who you marry.
1: I know. When you put it that way— And that's preposterous. That is preposterous. My
2: mom has no idea what turns me on. But she looked at the astrology.
1: Well, true. <laughs> she did. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just wondering, just like with religion or other types of myths, marriage also being a myth, I wonder if there is a benefit. Is there a sweeter nectar? This is a serious question. And literally two days ago before I read this, I would have said no. Is there a sweeter nectar? One of my life's passions is saving babies and bath uh, bathwater, like separating the two. So is there something in the commitment itself, apart from children, apart from even companionship, lust, love, fun dates, good movie nights, back rubs, foot rubs, shared baths, and pizza parties? Is there something where you're like, because I stayed in this, again, I would have answered no two days ago. Mm -hmm. Because I stayed in this, I got a better look at the nature of existence and the zeal of life. I don't know. Because you stayed in
2: it? Because you, you, you because, stuck with it?
1: Because you, da- not because your neighbors see, and not because your parents see, and not because your kids will benefit from a t- non broken home, yeah. but because you decided to keep that infinite marriage record song spinning and dancing to it. Is there something beyond all reason that you'll go, not even that was the right thing to do or I enjoyed that, but go, I think I just saw a little glimpse of what it is to be alive.
2: Well, I think what you're doing is throwing out all of the main front reasons, like the one being your kids who who are like, psychologically, uh, supposed to be, at least according to um, the psychiatrist I've spoken to, um, are <laughs> uh, supposed to be better off. Right. You know, that they do better in school, that they have better relationships that, you know, with, with relationships when their parents are together. Now, of course, the flip side is if you watch your parents fight, what's, what's you know, what are you modeling there? Right. I just think, you know, look, they're, they're, like, it's an institution designed to raise children. And then it's an, then it becomes an institution designed to have somebody there at the end. Yeah, it's the question: is how do you get from the children to the end?
1: Well, I've heard a funny quote where they say a man needs four wives: one for his twenties, one for his thirties, one for his forties, and then one through the to the end. And that's basically what I hear you saying. And again, that's a very practical way. And I, I'm I'm going to stop with the myth stuff and just join you in reality and say that I completely understand.
2: Yeah. But I, what I would say is, I think women are just as tortured as men in these relationships. Of I course. think they Of course.
1: If not more— you could, you
2: could interview my wife, and she would give you a, uh, uh, an earful.
1: Well, Jay, and again, I'm not trying to shine a spotlight on yeah. you. You're a man that told well, I me— Well, I'm being interviewed, I guess. Yeah, it. yeah, but I mean, not, not on a part you don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You're a man who told me that you sat in the front of a Robin Williams tribute, and you, he's a little bit stoned and paranoid, perhaps, but your main takeaway— wasn't, again, not making fun, wasn't like Robin Williams or anything like that. Your main takeaway is, how do I stay famous enough and relevant enough so that I'm never like these old people that a young guy like me will sit in the front and not know who I am? That has to be tricky to be married to, because I'll tell you as someone who's like that, that's hard to be with, meaning be with myself sometimes.
2: True. I'm only being honest with you because uh, I, I think honesty is the most interesting uh, form of communication. Agreed. I try very hard at home to suppress that. Most of my work at home is silent. Me sitting at a computer typing. Mm. You know, like uh, extrapolating on, on ideas and... Question. Yeah.
1: Where? Where in the house?
2: Uh, at, at a dining room table. Dining room table? Yeah. Okay, okay. i yeah. the Ops. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'll see... Dist- is that distracting? Mm, I don't do it when people are awake. Oh, I see. Oh, early morning? late at night late at night you know and i'll sneak off into the garden and have a little toke or i'll you know open up open up a, a bottle of uh 12 wine and, yeah uh, you don't know. do
1: that those are picked by machines and they scoop up rodents
2: i like it um <laughs> it's been you know i've been been i've been cranking out some good jokes with that shit
1: so. <laughs> that rodent uh, gets uh, you yeah, going. Uh,
2: but yeah i mean uh, uh and then i of course i i write in my office too but but you know, I, I try very hard not to be show business in any way at home. You and, leave your
1: ego at work.
2: Well, it's not interesting. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen all the movies of, about the, you know, the, I do not name one of them, but, you know, of, the, of the, the famous comics who end up doing coke and blowing their heads off. And, you know, you're just right. like, you don't want to, you don't, I mean, nobody wants to. You, you, what you said earlier was right. My wife has heard all of my
1: jokes. Right.
2: And uh, she's not laughing anymore.
1: But it's interesting because Louis, talking about writing an hour every year, uh, also talks about that. Like he almost starts getting his own jokes. So I wonder if when all the dating stuff is gone, maybe your wife is getting her drill deeper into the real you, which includes the unpleasant stuff that maybe – I'm not, you know, positing that you guys are fighting all the time or anything, but maybe gets into that real real juice.
2: Yeah, yeah, she certainly knows the real me,
1: uh, and you
2: know, uh, I would prefer that she kept it to herself. <laughs> I'll, ki- I'll kick out a little bit here and there. Yeah, like by the way, in this in this show that I just did, it's a lot of it's about her and my relationship,
1: and it's real. Yeah, and it's called really for a reason. Right, right, right. You know. I'm I'm right there with you, and that's what you should be doing. And when I get on stage and talk about not wanting to have sex every day, that's an extension of potentially a conversation with my girlfriend. When you watch this is forty, and it opens with them fucking and him admitting that he took Viagra and them having a fight about that, I don't have to ask anybody involved in that movie to know that that was real. You yeah, know what I mean that's a real conversation. Sure. So good for you. We take pain, you make something good. Yeah. I think that's one of the purposes of an artistic life, right? I think so. I mean, I mean, I think, I think, I don't know what you're like, but I, I, end
2: up writing jokes all the time. You know, you just you something occurs to you, you type it into like a little file in your iPhone, and and you just you know, and 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 you know, when you go back and think about it, you can balloon it into something. You let it flower into something interesting, but right. you have to like recognize the moment. Right. And and you know, my wife is all over this show.
1: Like it's like it's all over it. Right. That's now, that's now on record. If you do get a divorce, she has a claim.
2: Uh, she already has a claim because you got married in Whatever. California. You could have it
1: all. I got more jokes. A time-traveling <laughs> lawyer
0: teleports right. into the room. Jay, no! He tries to shoot
1: you. It's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Uh, okay, interesting. Did you see the Woody Allen documentary? I'm sure you did. Uh, Wild Man Blues? No, the PBS one. No. It's on Netflix. It's very good. Okay. There's a scene that I think you'll appreciate as a director. What is your net worth? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where he's on a bed with yeah. all the notes, little scraps of paper. Yeah. And he picks one up and he's like, a magician um, sells all his tricks and, uh, to a man who inherits them or whatever. Yeah. And then he has all the tricks. And he's like, I don't know. It might be something. It might be nothing. Yeah. I, I'm with you with right. the idea that all these things, I'm interested in the uh, origin of, a, of, a, of an idea. Sometimes you'll write it down or e- I email myself a lot. You email yourself and then that joke will come back sometimes 10 years later and you're like, "Ah, oh, that's where that line goes. You know what I mean? Well, you know, what, what I do is I, I, I,
2: like I'm working on uh, the show, really. It's Super Troopers 2. Uh, Soup Troops, Troops Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting close to signing. What's the log line? Um, you mean like still trooping?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're back. Uh, Some action,
2: you know. Look, uh, rather than make a um, like one where Joe Pesci comes in with blonde hair, (laughs) you know, we're going to do like just another one. Yeah, you know, the mustaches are going to be a little bigger, you know. uh, But but basically, it's going to be a very similar style movie. Now, can we capture that again? You know, we have to be a little better than we were last time. Soup troops. Soup troops is great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but but I have I have a file for that I have a file for this film
1: <laughs> I'm the one to tell you soup uh, troops this is great
2: <laughs> shotgun wedding I'm making a film like that so really? I, I put jokes about that in there and then I have this thing really and, and I just and then I have a stand up file and so yes like over the past week I, I've gone through this nine literally 90 page document and I'm taking the jokes and I'm sticking them under category about booze, about alcohol, about couples, about, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have this, you know, organizing your brain into your jokes into all these little, like, files, and then you can look at them and go, oh, I can put that there, and I can put that there, and yep uh, uh, you you know, I, I, I haven't seen that Woody Allen thing, but I, I like that.
1: You should watch it. You'll just enjoy it, I think, as a comedian and as a director. But you're absolutely right. I think there's something, my desk is currently covered in printouts of things that i'm like oh these jokes need homes yeah and then you're writing something and you're like does that one fit and sometimes you're forcing it yeah but when it clicks perfectly oh boy you're like everyone's gonna think i'm some sort of genius yeah and then you show it to people and no one notices (laughs) yeah which is fine i'm not saying they should notice but to you when
2: you shoot it then that's when they can they'll notice yeah there you go
1: hey was that real syrup
2: well, in the in the in Super Troopers, yeah, the, you know, originally originally it was um, um, iced tea, like very thick iced tea. But it turns out you can't thicken iced tea enough yeah. to make it look good on film. So we so we bought real syrup and we sugar free. No, unfortunately, that was our mistake. And so I drank two full bottles, uh, and uh, Eric Stolhansky, who played Rabbit, he drank two and a half.
1: He's in Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, he's in Brookliz. And so after that scene. It was lunch, and it, it, the this wave of like intense like diabetic shock came on. Yeah, and we he and I went into like a dark trailer, hit the lights, and we both laid on the floor and just shivered for the entire hour. Oh, and then we got up, and I had to go back to work to direct. He was done for the day, and I directed, and I'm kind of just like really fucked up, and then. And then after that, you went into, the, you know, you got home and went to, you know, to take a shit and, you pancakes, know, like, just no, it was like, up. like, a, like a fossilized sparrow came out, like an entire leaf fully formed, <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I assume that's why they have it in that, in that fast with lemonade and cayenne yeah, pepper. Yeah, it put stuff out of me that I could not even, I don't remember going in and I will never, ever, ever do that again. Ever do that again?
0: <laughs> you got all antsy in your pantsy.
2: It was awful. Yes,
1: I am proud that uh, in our text exchange, I I, you told, I was impressed. Told me that nobody yeah. references sizzling. No, nobody does. What's the big one?
2: Uh, meow. Yeah. Like I get a lot I, of waiters who come up to me and say, uh, "Is that all you want, meow?" Or, or uh, yeah, you want another drink, meow?
1: I was touring with Gavigan at that time. Oh, and you were. He had shows ruined because people kept saying meow.
2: <laughs> You're kidding.
1: He was on stage. And Jim is a lovely, lovely man, but yeah. he will get angry. Oh, yeah. And a man, a fucking drunk guy in the front, kept. he was just saying meow. Wow. And uh, this is like a good six months at least after the movie had come out. Really? Fucked the whole set. He couldn't get through it. He just, I mean, how because, many times can you say, shut the fuck up? Right. And the club didn't eject the person, so I the see. set just suffered. He he still did his right. job. But the guy was still saying meow during did the Did the audience
2: even know what he was talking about? Some of them did. Yeah.
1: To, I did. Yeah. But God, that was hard to watch. Yeah, that has to be a big ref. A sweet Leary, I call it. Yeah. Dennis Leary's the star of the movie, The Ref. So oh, you, nice. You call a reference. Sweet a leery. Leary. Nice. It's a sweet Leary. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's. I, I usually ask this towards the end. Can you remember one of the hardest times you've laughed?
2: Um. Wow, that's interesting.
1: Uh yes. It can be as a kid or, well, or a grown man and well, it doesn't have to make sense.
2: I remember actually the moment we wrote that joke. Meow. Really? Right? Cuz I have um uh I used to swim in this lake when I was a kid in front of my house and I would get re- repeated chronic left ear infections. And so, and I would pull stuff out of there that was just, you know, it was like I drank maple syrup and it came out of my ear. It was bad. And it was, um, and I didn't really treat it and I really didn't deal with it. And so I have kind of not great hearing in my left ear. And... um, like
1: Copland.
2: Yeah, like Copland. (laughs) Uh,
1: And, and,
2: and, and, and so... We were in a um like a North Hollywood motel like all of Broken Lizard was and we were you know, we were all staying in the same room, uh, uh cause we were I think we were riding super troopers at the time. Mm. And um and we or maybe we weren't even. I think we were just like out here doing some sort of uh NBC show that we were trying to do. And we were all staying together because we couldn't really afford much else and we were smoking grass. And I remember Paul Soder you know, he tore the back page of the Bible out because we needed rolling papers and he tried to turn that into a joint. That didn't work. Um, you got to use the map page. <laughs> you got to use the map page. <laughs> uh, and then we were, we, it was like five in the morning and we'd been smoking joint after joint and joking and joking and joking. And someone said, now, and in my memory, I thought I heard, I said, did you say meow? And we riffed on that for like, you know, five, 10 minutes. And we wrote that down. We were just laughing so hard. And, and that joke disappeared then for a year or two until we eventually did make super That is
1: funny. And somebody else was like, remember that thing? We did that thing. And, Not you know. even found the piece of paper. They just remembered. They remembered it. They remembered meow. Yeah. Looking for it. a little, little shenanigans. Because
2: even then we used to try to write down, but then it was just writing on scraps of paper.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. You you looked at I looked at you like that's no, a good one. Yeah. Then we just had a moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I wanted to go back to that you said earlier too is uh, you talking about training other people to take your job? Yeah. Have you seen one of my favorite movies, The Assassination of Jesse James? Yeah. I love that movie, and there is something about the way that uh, Jesse James, Brad Pitt, gives uh, Robert Ford, Casey uh, Affleck. He gives him the gun, spoiler, that he shoots him with. And I think there's something about mentorship and parenthood that I think is represented there. Your job as a dad is to give your kids, like, the tools to, you know, have them destroy you. Yeah. Meaning put you in a home or or bury you. And there's something about having a a director, wannabe director, shadow you or sit in your writer's room and all that sort of stuff. We're always you know, I bring Chris, Ge- uh, Chris together. I bring Chris Thayer on the road with me and I'm very open with it. I'm like, you know, I'm letting you see everything. Yeah. So that one day you can shoot me. <laughs> yeah. And it can work both ways. I- I've taken the
2: approach that I'm going to train and I do this a lot. I, I have a lot of people shadow me. I give lessons to people like, um, you know, when Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, were going to make their movie, um, uh, the way, way back, you know, the movie, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm friends with those guys, and I brought them into my office, and I gave them two or two or three lessons on directing, and I said, you got to do this, you got to focus on this, and I think, I hope, that if I do this enough, that as I get um, older, and maybe I stop writing as much, these fuckers will fucking hook me up with a little part here and there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, whatever. It is what it is. I, you can't really say to your friend, I'm not going to teach you how to do this thing I know.
1: Right. It's, because
2: it's really all taught, the strangers. Somebody it's,
1: taught you, right?
2: Uh, no. Nobody taught me. Nobody taught me. I tried to. I tried, I applied to NYU, UCLA, U, USC, AFI. Got rejected everywhere. Really? And I we shot our own stuff, and then edit, and because I couldn't afford an editor, I got a job in an editing house and learned how to edit myself. And I would, you know, I'm like, I'd get the editors to be like, hey, can you show me how to do this cut? And they'd show me. I go, okay, thanks. And then I would book them with edit with with clients. Like I was the booker. So they had to teach me. Right. So yeah, they did teach me, ad- admittedly. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't like someone took me out of their way. You
1: didn't meet another you. No, I was didn't. was like, and, I got it. And that's okay. Look, I want people
2: to learn it and I, and I get it. But there seem to be so goddamn many of them. Right. There's so many people out there. Well, that's why there's, there's a, so
1: many. There's a little bit of, uh, there's certainly probably a lot of luck involved that you're the person. I'm, I'm fascinated with how moods can dictate so many things that really affect people's lives. You write me an email. That uh, you want advice on Facebook and you catch me in a really good mood and I write you back this amazing email, really inside stuff, good stuff, stuff that we say on the podcast. I don't like have other stuff that I say. Something really nice and, and maybe that helps you. Maybe that inspires you to do an open mic and then you become a famous comedian. Okay. Or... Email me when I'm grumpy. Sometimes when I'm writing and someone G-chats me or something, it's like the worst thing in the world to me. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Closing windows, quitting things, not replying, deleting, marking things as spam. Uh You're spam now, Uh Jim. You know what I mean? So mood dictating things. And and to a certain extent, if someone approaches you, you're talking about so many of them. But if you just got like a pitch sold and you're feeling fantastic. You're right. I mean, occasionally... Usually what happens is
2: someone sends me an email and about six months later, I will send them a response Yeah, and they'll be like, oh, and they pick up right there and they ask me the 12 questions and I answer them. Usually they'll try to take me out to lunch and I'm like, I I can't have lunch with strangers. Yeah. Um, Well, not really. Not really. I can have a phone call. Right. I can certainly send uh, an email.
1: No, I, I was just laughing at how blunt that was. It's like, no, no lunch with strangers. Well, they want to buy me sense? coffee or lunch. You know, yeah. I get
2: it. I don't blame them. They're, they're networking. And, 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 and I get it. I get it. I've tried to do that, too. Right. But, um, you know, somebody was very, you know, I remember I was on a panel uh, in New York City, um, and it was for writer, uh, it was for director actors, and it was me who had made Puddle Cruiser, which is our first film, and uh, Ben Stiller. And uh, John Turturro and uh, I don't know if it was Buck Henry. It might have been Buck Henry. I don't know. Anyway, so it was this <laughs> ridiculous group and then me, right? And we, we did this panel and I'm like, I, don't know. I can't believe I don't know. Why would anybody ask me anything? Right. And it was great and fine. And then afterwards, Ben Stiller, I'm like, hey, look, man, you know, I'm a huge cable guy fan. And he goes, are you fucking with me? And I'm like, no, I mean, that's a really well shot movie and a funny and I think it's Jim Carrey's best movie and I think it's like incredibly well done Yeah. and he goes just so I'm clear you're not fucking with me and I was like what are you going he goes oh, I don't know people really made fun of me and insulted me for that movie and I said that's a classic that film it is a classic and and then he goes you want to have lunch and I was like yeah and so we walk through the East Village and we sit down and we have lunch for about an hour and a half Wow. and this guy tells me all sorts of shit Wow. and uh, in his case he had lunch with me <laughs>
1: But he asked me. What did he tell you? I love
2: secondhand advice. Well, you know, a lot of it was me telling him how great Cable Guy was and going into the depths of why I thought it was. But, I mean, you know, the truth is a guy like that uh, doesn't really have the practical advice. I mean, he he has advice. He grew up in
1: show business. No, no,
2: I don't mean that. I mean that you can come to me and say, I want to make it in show business, and I can only tell you what I know. But I can't call Warner Brothers and say, "Give this nobody a deal." They're not gonna,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know. Sorry, I can't, I can't call Comedy Central. I mean, I could, I could say, "Hey, take a look at this guy, at Comedy Central." But the truth is, it's not how it works, right? You know, the way it works is that you,
0: Persevere. you know, you
2: get out there and you get in the clubs, and Comedy Central sees you, and then then I call, and you know, right. I mean, it, And and it would be one thing if it were one person, but it's hundreds, right? In a year, it's hundreds and hundreds, and why should I? call Comedy Central for that guy versus that guy? Well, because of talent, right? Right.
1: Well, because there's something to the slow burn of it. Yeah. Uh, I I love this example. The New Yorker, if you went into The New Yorker on a Tuesday, which is a cartoon meeting, and gave them 10 perfect cartoons, perfect, the funniest things they've ever seen, they wouldn't buy one. They want you to come in every week with 10 perfect cartoons, and then they'll buy one after a year, because they want to see there's something to that refining process. Right. People don't want to throw... It's bad when we... When we do, when we throw the keys to a Corvette to the new guy that just showed up, you're not sure his heart is in the right place. You're not sure he has the passion, the real passion for it. So there's something – my friend told me there's a reason why they give you six months to write a movie script. It doesn't necessarily take six months. They'll pay you for six months to write a pilot or something because there's a lot of, like, waiting around and, and fermenting involved in that process. So we don't want to just give the guy the fast ticket to the top, and it doesn't work that way. No. It doesn't work th- that I, I'm always reminded of the guy, Sean Conroy, who told me the great advice. I wanted to be booked on his show at UCB and he goes, it doesn't work that way. He goes like, you'll do other shows. I'll hear about you and then I'll book you. Right. And I was like, he was the only Del Close style. He was yeah, honest with that's me right. and I can't share that enough. And that's the way it is with everybody. People want some fast hookup. People think it's LA. Somebody's going to see you and plug you in. Yeah. When you're ready to plug yourself in, get your own dick hard and then they'll point you that's right. to the whole of your choice. Nice. let me see if there's anything uh, i forgot before we do the lord you want to talk about the lord sure which lord do you love none of them (sighs) you know you can start with your childhood if you'd like how you were raised my
2: my um uh my parents are from south india i mean they're from like the deep south we're like you know we're like country people we're like <laughs> from Georgia uh, <laughs> the Georgia uh, of India yeah like way I mean you know and that's how Hindu they were well they're they're you know the predominant uh, religion in India is, is Hinduism and they're technically Hindus and my mom uh, it would still consider herself a Hindu they're I su- Sunday I suppose, Hindus I suppose they're Easter yeah. Christmas Hindus my dad I talked to recently and I said are you what do you what do you do you believe in God he goes no no of course not and I said, "Uh okay. I, I I thought it was more nuanced than that." He goes, "No. There's there's not a god." <laughs>
1: <laughs> this was recently. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. I thought I was going to take the middle ground here and yeah. it'd be wishy-washy like yeah, that yeah, yeah. but no no he goes, he goes it's just not supported by scientific fact." And he, you know, he's a lung disease doctor and he has a certain view. Like he, you know, he thinks he feels that um you know, like meti- like when there are uh, diseases and plagues, that it's just the system refreshing itself. You know, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Yeah, you could, you could solve every disease, and then where would we be? We'd have an overpopulation situation, and then we'd be killing each other." And you know, because this is it's critical for these diseases to thin our thinner hurt and yeah I don't, my dad's a wonderful funny guy
1: yeah but he's like you know he, he always if my doctor said that though he's like uh either we'll cure you or thin the herd you know what well, i mean well
2: but he's, he looks at, like he's like there's certain cancers he's like i'm not getting tested for that cancer because i'm not going to get the treatment for that cancer because if it's time to die i'll die that's the way it goes right well, i guarantee you i'll die that's what he'll say to me i'm like okay he goes, you will too, and it's okay.
0: Okay, you're right.
2: Whatever, <laughs> you know. My mom is more of a personal Hindu, she like severely distrusts organized religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think myself, uh, I lean more towards my father. I, I don't, uh, I, I would love to see it, you know. If if there's a god, let me, you know, if I saw it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I saw it, right? I'll buy it, right? I was there, I, I would, I would, I would then say out there that I believe, but until I do, then I'm you know. I'm happy with the way it is right now. You want the evidence. Well, don't you?
1: Yeah. Are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs>
2: but look, look, there there are all these major religions, right? All the major religions, for the most part, say the other ones are wrong. They, They are all based on these crazy myths. Yeah. And you're like, none of that is true, right? Yeah. It doesn't happen nowadays. Why don't these crazy myths kind of things happen nowadays? They don't happen. Right, well, we just happen to live in the couple decades where no crazy, wild things happen?
1: Because it's very, very difficult to get a good myth started these days. Because it, it, if I say you walked on water, people would be like, Jay's an idiot. Yeah, let's see it, Jay. Let's see it. Walk on the fucking water. Right, let's right. see it. Like, I understand. I can't do it. But when we, you know, I would say the modern myths are, you know, films and stuff. You know, like we, we need a new mythology. I don't know if we have it necessarily. But I'm with you. I do think that all of the religions, you get into a tricky place when they start calling each other wrong. But when we start looking at them as just a finger pointing to something, again, no evidence of God because God is just a metaphor for infinity, for like this consciousness that wants to exist for some reason or another. I'm not talking about like a lifeguard. I I, I get it. You're right. I I think that
2: there uh, could very easily be something major and spiritual going on. And there are all sorts of little things in life. For example, like, why do certain jokes uh, uh, occur to me? Right. Well, you the know?
1: frequency that you're tuned yeah, in.
2: Where do they come from? You're creating. Where are they coming from? I get it. I mean, what, what burns me mm-hmm. is when you watch what's happening uh, with, like, ISIS and the in and the Islamic faith. And this thing. It's you're just like, you know, I'm, or, for example, recently there was a... a There was a guy, a white guy who had uh, like biracial grandchildren and some neighbor of his came and burned a cross on his lawn. A cross, mm-hmm. right? You're like, yeah. religion is fine as long as it doesn't infringe on the rest of us who are just honestly living a more reasonable life.
1: That's true. Uh, great Joseph Campbell quote I'm going to throw at you because I think you're going to like it. It says, religion is a defense against a spiritual experience. It actually in- can inhibit you. He yeah. also has this great quote, again, I'm just reading this book currently, he goes, don't read the myths that you were raised with because we tend to look at those in terms of fact. We go, Jesus lived, Jesus died, yeah. Jesus wrote, was risen again. When you look at Buddha, for example, somebody that was raised Christian, you can go like, oh, this is different. When Buddha went into the wilderness for 40 days, it was it was just a story, you know right. what I mean? Right. But we can start to, you can start to really understand the myth. If I look at Krishna, if I look at Muhammad, all those different things can be opened up to me uh, without that, the burden of that lens, that Western lens.
0: Yeah.
2: I, 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 uh, I'm into the concept of spirituality, but I'll tell you this, I'm very happy without it. Sure. Like, I live my life and, uh, I'm a very, like, uh, calm and happy person with what's going on.
1: To which I would say your meditation, and I don't mean sitting and, and chanting. I mean your meditation, your life, your dharma or whatever, is your children and is your work and is your relationships. Yeah. And that can be – it gets ruined by the word spiritually, but I'm saying that can be spiritually satisfying. You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. It seems to me like you're following your, your flow. You're, you're going with your thing.
2: I am. I'm, I'm like – I don't – do things that I know are wrong and I try not to put out like things that I don't think are ultimately good for society. For example, we made a movie called beer fest, which is about, which is an ode to binge drinking. I'm aware of the darkness of binge drinking, but I also think there's an immense amount of great light that comes out of binge drinking. Mm. I think there's like, camaraderie and fellowship and friendship and and mating the amount of relationships that have <laughs> been started from heavy drinking the 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 commonality of jokes that develop over years from groups of friends who do drink and they smoke grass i think there's a very positive thing to like communal drinking and mm-hmm. and and drugging frankly and you know smoking joints and doing whatever it is and and so when I put on a movie like Beerfest, is I'm I'm advocating for the positive side of it. Yeah, there are alcoholics. Mm-hmm. But the alcoholics are taking up all the fucking airtime. <laughs> it's like, okay, you can't drink, so don't fucking drink. Mm-hmm. I don't want to necessarily hear about your 12 steps or this or that or life is so. Just don't drink. I get it. It's hard. I have no doubt that it's hard. But the majority of us are drinking just fine, and this. <laughs> We're using this thing. me
1: your book. I'm drinking just Yeah, mild. we're
2: using this alcohol as it's supposed to be used. Right. And we're not fucking up. And so why Why do we have to make it bad? Right. You know, like there's this, this endless sort of you should all, we should all do it the way we think. And, you know, if you have two drinks a night, you're an alcoholic. Well, that's not true. <laughs> that's not fucking true. Nor is three, by the way.
1: <laughs> fucking sick of it. You should talk about that on
0: stage.
1: <laughs> colleges, it'll kill. <laughs> it'll literally kill you. It's, ir- it's irresponsible. No, I, under- I understand what you're saying. Uh, and the beer you guys were drinking was CGI anyway. Hey, Did fuck off. I'm not. Of <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the first things I said to you. I was like, <laughs> the beer in the boots was CGI, wasn't it? And you're like, fuck you.
2: No, it was not. It was all real.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think happens when you die? Zero? Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Your body is recycled. Your consciousness is gone. Obviously, your body is recycled. I mean... Well,
2: well re- let me ask you this. Our population increases in size, increases in size. So where are these souls coming are from? Are the souls like, cut up into fractions and yeah. shoved into multiple bodies? I mean, how, how does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't.
2: You know, it's we like, more well, than... I have three-fourths of a soul because there were too many people waiting for souls. Well, that would
1: it? explain some of the people I know hit it. Bam! But, you know, look... In, He's a half soul. It's actually a pretty funny idea. It is not that. Yeah, easy. Yeah. yeah. This guy's only a third. Like, yeah. you get a test done, yeah. and it's like, sorry, yeah. you have 0.01% yeah. of a soul. We're going to
2: give you a quarter of a soul, but yeah. Yeah, that's all you really Look, need. we only yeah. have the, the <laughs> original
1: right. 3,000 people. That's right. We <laughs> had to cut the soul up. That's how it works. <laughs> and that's where you get the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Those are the only pure souls remaining. That's right. I just want...
2: I don't know. I mean, how could you say... You know, look, in, in Hinduism, my, my mother was talking about, as a child, I was like, well, why would, why would a baby be born and die? Like, how does, that, how does that make sense? Like, what did the baby do wrong? And she said, you know, you, according to the, the religion, you live your life and you try to do good. You try to do good and you do some bad things. And then if, you, if you've done a bunch of bad things, you're reborn and you still you live a little shorter life. And slowly shorter and shorter and shorter. When the baby is born and dies, it has finally reached its end. And then it goes and joins Nirvana. And, Reminds me yeah. of the
1: narrative we added to Robin Williams' death and made it better. That's a, good, that's a good story.
2: That's right. It's a good story. It's not true. Right. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: don't th- I, I
2: don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you got to explain death. I get it. Back when we didn't have science. Right. You know, they explained it that way, and now they explain it this way.
1: I think if you look at the whole world, this is just something that I've been thinking lately. If you look at the whole world as the body of God, meaning the whole universe, not just this planet, but the whole thing. It's kind of something that I got from the book Some. Did you read Some? Stories of the Afterlife? Great book. Uh, David Eagleman would love to have you on if you're listening to this uh, but he writes this wonderful fi- fiction he's a scientist and, and a, like, kind of a philosopher basically, and he wrote this wonderful fiction book All Stories of the Afterlife and I'm, I'm kind of ripping him off in this but I'm giving him credit it's the idea that the world is God alright it's pantheism the idea that we're, you and I are God, we're the eyes of God, yeah. looking, at, lo- looking at himself, experiencing himself. And similarly to a human body, there's cancerous cells. That's what a uh, a biker gang that's going around raping people is. That is cancer in the body of God and it's yeah. attacking healthy cells. And it needs to be treated. You know what I mean? And it can be healed and redeemed and sometimes it needs to be removed. That That is currently how I am grappling with the problem of a pain. When a baby dies, I go... Because we're in not a fallen world, but we're just just as so as my body is betraying me currently, growing you know using the carcinogens i don 't mean from cigarettes, just in the l a yeah. air, you know not knowing what to do with it, and and parts of my body are probably fucked, you know what I mean i'm not saying cancer, but just like things that aren't helping me, so is it as it is with the world. that is how i've lately been reconciling or adding a narrative to when Robin Williams says i'm like yes. Just as it is with my body betraying myself, sometimes uh cells get infected and and bad things happen.
2: That's how you explain the horrifying situation that is life.
1: Yeah. You know, the funny thing about that I think we do need a good story. They say that But th- then I also keep in mind the idea of treatment. I'm saying if there are radical uh religious people killing gay people in, in uh you know, Saudi Arabia or yeah. whatever, I don't know where that's happening, but you know, the Middle there, East the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. Uh, that That is just something like an illness that can be treated, you know what I mean? Or, you know.
2: Over a hundred years it can be treated. I mean, it's like... Right. The the ancientness of the thought over there is uh, stunning. True debt. It's stunning.
1: There's something to be said, and I don't mean to put down a whole area of the world, but you do look at I, these... I, I, just, I
2: just did. <laughs> I just
1: did. There's something to be said about... Uh, Something happens when you when you go to a new place and start it over. I'm not saying America is, like, problem-free, but people in, seem to enjoy a fresh start. Yes. When you stay in one place, the ideology tends to tends to linger it's longer. True.
2: It's like going to England, where, right. where like, you know, they, they still struggle to hold on to, like, aristocracy and, That's right. and uh, inherited wealth that is and title. So,
1: that is so much safer than what I was just saying. Yeah. I am not an authority on the Middle East. I'm just saying, England... We came over here, we had no problem getting rid of that. Just like when you move to a new apartment, you know not to hang up. Yeah. That Super Troopers poster, it's embarrassing, Jay. right. You directed it and you were in it. Right, we get it. Take it down. We get it. Take it down. Yeah. It doesn't fit in the house. Right. (laughs) What were you going to say I interrupted you? I was Uh, talking about the body of God.
2: Oh, I don't know. I mean, look, I was going to say that we're supposedly in the most peaceful time in human history. That your chances of getting murdered are the slimmest they've ever been. Because if you think about it, there are very few wars actually going on. You know, when there have been these massive world wars or these relentless religious wars and disease used to kill people. I mean, it's funny, you know, we get all these, all these like, everything is bad for you nowadays, and yet we're living longer and longer and longer. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, just, it just doesn't all link up.
1: Yeah, I understand. There's something in us that we always want to think it's the end times. We always want to think this we're just, is...
2: Th- we're paying attention to the wrong thing. It's like, if you, if you watch the news, it's a nightmare out there. But by the way, I mean, I've, it's not a nightmare. Yeah. It's not a fucking nightmare. It is over there. Well, I'm not over there. I've started to stop paying attention to a lot of places. You Wait. could say sticking your head in the sand, but I'm like, eh. Yeah, okay, these people are going to kill these people, and that's their issue. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the American Revolution, right... I just read the uh, uh, biography on Jefferson. This guy, John Meacham, wrote it. And those guys came over here, and they put their lives on the line, and they fought the British, and some of them died. And they fought and earned this revolution. They earned their own country. That's what's got to happen over in the Middle East. And I realize those guys are fighting a very brutal situation over there, but Mm -hmm. it's their situation.
1: That's interesting. I am out of my depth. I can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it makes sense to me. Like, what you're saying is interesting.
2: You have to fight for your own revolution. And the truth is, even in America, for a, for a solid 75 to 100 years, the system was not set. Like... They had the Declaration of Independence, and then Jefferson was constantly worried that Hamilton was trying to bring the king back. He was constantly bringing the royalists back. And he's like, no, no royalists. We can't have that. We already had that. And
1: these things have to go on, and they take 75, 80 years, 100 years. It's interesting because it goes—what you're saying—you're being a homeopath about the body of God having a disease. You're saying—you're being like your father. You're saying, like, you have that disease. Have it and thin the herd. I'm not saying literally people dying. I'm saying— Instead of treating it with a scalpel, what you're saying happened with Jefferson in America is we had this thing, and you're being a doctor saying, go home and get bed rest, and it'll sort itself out.
2: Well, it's going to be bloody, and then it's, you know, eventually, hopefully, the, the good guys will win. I mean, what can you say,
1: right. you know? I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tricky issue, what gets intervened with and what doesn't. That's what I mean when I say I'm out of my depth. But it is interesting what you're saying. Thank you. I will say, can I give you an American history fact, something yeah, I never sure. considered? So George Washington talked about, like, he had this big point when we're, you know, Declaration of Independence and all that stuff. No foreign alliances. I never – this is probably something I learned in high school, but yeah. it didn't matter to me. I read it a couple nights ago and it mattered. No foreign alliances. And then World War I happens and we're just like, hey, British. We just went back to the British. Like – I didn't even consider, when you're talking about what you're, you're talking about, how hard it was to succeed, am I using that word wrong, yeah. to get away from the British, to only go back to them. A travesty to everybody that shot at a red coat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Would have rolled over in their graves. So upset that in that moment, world war, a war of that scale, we were like, we're back with the British and we're just trying to take over the world for the British Empire again. yeah.
2: I mean, I think you look at the commonality of and language. And that's
1: before the Beatles.
2: That's before the Beatles, right?
1: <laughs> commonality of language. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, look, you st- we still look
2: at uh, uh, foreigners like the Russians, and you're like, oh, I don't trust them, right? Right. And we, we can speak a... to the English and the Australians, and we, you know, we can yeah. speak to the Indians, and right. you can have a commonality
1: of language. So weird that something so huge could come down to just that. Just like a firm hand. I mean, the
2: truth is the American Revolution was aided big time by the French because the French hated the English so the French helped the Americans defeat the English huh and then we were allied with the French I mean I probably knew that but it yeah. felt like the first time I that's where that. we got this, you know, the Statue of Liberty then, then when they had their revolution we helped them and they sent us the Statue of Liberty
1: way to go how about it not bad <laughs> hey that reminds me of you teaching your friends how to direct so you get that part that's right when you're old and you know losing it a little bit
2: yeah it'll happen <laughs>
1: Drink just, three drinks a Just hand him. A, yeah, you're an alcoholic. Just hand him a, uh, a statue of Liberty. We did a monologue on the Pete Holmes show called "Drinking Alone" that I think you would enjoy. Yeah, it was my defense of drinking alone.
2: I mean, come on.
1: What you, yeah, it's what uh, I, I think it would be really funny if you just did a 180 on me right now. And like, <laughs> no, that's fucked up. Oh, alone? Uh, no, I don't drink alone. I was talking about the virtue of having a glass of wine at the end of the day while I. But like, I the bit was like I live alone. You're telling me if my wife was there, it would be okay for me to have a Chardonnay? Like, why with that? Like, you can eat French fries, which are fucking bad for you, or an ice cream sundae alone, all these different things. true. But if I, the line that Joe DeRosa wrote, but the second I want a Michelob light, I got to call the notary? (laughs) So fucking funny. I got to call the notary. It's online forever.
2: I'll watch it. No. No? No, you won't. Okay, <laughs>
1: no, I'm, not that, I'm not that person. I'll I'll mail it to you. Okay, great. Okay, so watch really. It's on Amazon. August twenty eighth. August twenty eighth. Uh, yeah. So well, we'll talk about when to release this then, because I would like to give that a boost, and I think what you're doing the soup is fun. When's the last time you cried?
2: Uh, I cry roughly once a decade. Once a decade. I'm like. I don't know. I'm not, like, I, I, I've been accused of being robotic, and I, I suppose that story supports that. Yeah. But
1: I... I Are you, are you computing
2: that? I'm right? a hyper-rationalist, <laughs> right? So something happens, and I'm like, well, that's how it happens. Yeah. So, okay. And then I'll feel better in about two or three weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, and so I don't end up crying. Now, I will occasionally go into a movie, and they'll play the right set of strings, mm-hmm. and there'll be something sappy... And tears will roll down my face, and they I'm talking have about to. occasionally, like once every ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you and you I'm looking around like, oh, this feels good. It's supposed to feel good, right? It yeah, good. it's like throwing up, but I don't cry much.
1: You feel better afterwards. I, I, cry, I guess I, so. cry. I,
2: I feel I feel better because I'm human. I suppose. It's oh, proof. proof that
1: you're human. You know, I- I, I'll be honest with you. I was watching that. There's a Facebook video making the rounds about the, this kid. He's the water boy for the school in Boston. He's really little and he had some brain problems. So he has a little bit of a speech problem and he was being teased and he always wore a suit. Fifth grader always wears a suit, so all the kids on his on the basketball team wore a suit for solidarity. That's nice, and that's sweet enough. But then one of the kids gets choked up explaining it, and he's like, "Just because we love it, we love him to show him that we love him so much." Starts crying, and his friends are like, "Touching." Cries, you know. I don't mean to critique his cry, but he nails it. It's like Uh it's like perfect. Right. So I start crying, and as I'm crying. I'm obviously 99.9% invested in what I'm watching, but that remaining 0.1% is like, oh, thank God I'm not a sociopath. That is there. Right. Just like when I finish having sex with my girlfriend, sometimes I'm like, you did it. You nailed it. And you'll cry? And I cry. Wow. No, but like 99.9% is like, oh, that was great and wonderful and I feel connected. And 0.1% is like, I'm a good boyfriend. Yeah. I, I gave her the business.
2: It's good for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She likes I, you crying? My
1: girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, she cried too. Oh. And I, I had this observation. I was like, "Tears are the only excretion." Wait, that wait. We're... You both cry after sex? No, no, no. After we, we watched that video. Oh, the video. We watched okay, that got video it, together. Got it, got I don't. It, okay. I don't cry after sex. Although okay. I, I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be ashamed if I did. But uh, I don't. But we watched that Facebook video together. And I would. We cried, and the tears came out, and those aren't gross. You know, what yeah. I mean? Like you will kiss someone's face if they're crying, but if they're snotting, fucking so get right, out of here. I hear
2: you. I hear you. That's all. I, I cried mean. after 9-11, eleven. Three days after.
1: Oh yeah. That's sad.
2: That might be the last time.
1: Three days. So it might have yeah. been a decade. Yeah, that's been a long time. It's been a long time. been longer than yeah. a decade. Yeah. It's been 13 years. I'm
2: not a big crier.
1: No. No. You're not the town crier.
2: No. <laughs> I could have been, though.
1: Back when that was a job. You speak Urdu? No. Hindi?
2: No. I speak English and some French. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. That's all I got. Okay. Shepel. Hat. Menu menu yeah fromage cheese oh you're beautiful
1: no you have a nice ass oh nice Q is ass okay sorry just out front. derriere is ass in English Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I feel good man
2: do you feel good I feel good I got one more thing to promote oh do it I'm going to be at the Arlington Draft House on August I played there August 30th and 31st
1: alright no one sit in the crowd and say meow to revenge Gaffigan, I mean my my <laughs> shows are like
2: that. I mean it's like they are. Oh yeah, I mean I'll I'll get through bits, and they really just want to yeah. Y- they want me to say lines from they the think I'm Mexican. They want me to say that, <laughs> and so I'll say I'll say at the end of the show I'm going to spend twenty thirty minutes talking to you about the things you want to talk about. But let me just talk about this shit first. That's fun. So. Because you got to fill
1: an hour. Well, yeah. I mean, so like, here it comes I got bits. jokes. No, no, no. I'm not saying you don't I got bits. Don't I got bits. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I understand. That's great. Well, thank you for doing it, man. Cool. Thanks a lot. My it's pleasure. Fun. When you say keep it crispy, that's how we end.
2: Yeah, keep it crispy.
1: It's <laughs> just so right there. I yeah. loved it.
0: Hell yeah. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. Thanks. Now leaving, Nerdist.com. What I'm still